calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the geek buddies <gasps> hey! Hey! what's going on yeah. everybody we are back this week with our main show having some fun talking about things that are going on in the world of geek like wonder woman 3 some fantastic four news some fun trailers sadly the passing of paul rubens aka pb herman and our Big topic will be the breakdown of the Loki trailer that debuted this week. Uh, but let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see some of our current work right now with the third season of Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, dropping every weekend on YouTube. Nice, nice. Well, good stuff, good stuff. But yeah, uh, the way the show works, for those of you who are new to us, we each uh, present a geek news item, uh, talk about it amongst ourselves, we take a break somewhere in the middle, then we take another break and jump into our main topic. And our main topic is going to be that Loki trailer because there's a lot to discuss in that Loki trailer for sure. Um, but let me kick things off. I'm going to start this whole shindig off with the big news uh, that uh, was burning up the internet as we're recording this yesterday. Uh, according to an interview with my brother Chris Killian over there at comicbook.com, Gal Gadot was asked, she's promoting Heart of Stone, which is coming out on Netflix, a new action movie of hers. Of course, Red Notice being one that she had done about a couple of years ago, I think, with The Rock and Ryan Reynolds. Well, uh, she was asked about Wonder Woman. And with all the stuff going on in D.C., you know, it's a logical question for Chris to ask her. Well, Gadot responded with this. I love portraying Wonder Woman. It's so close to and dear to my heart. From what I heard from James and from Peter Safran, and James being James Gunn, is that we're going to develop a Wonder Woman 3 together now gentlemen this comes on the heels of the um uh, what will you say i guess okay cameo of wonder woman showing up in shazam 2 and then her cameo being taken out or be, just being seen quickly in the flash but that's it that we saw from her so 
Do you guys believe this? We haven't heard James Gunn or Peter Saverin confirm this, or do you guys think this is Hollywood power playing? What do you gentlemen think this is? Mikey, I go to you first. Do I believe that they are developing a Wonder Woman 3 with Gal? Sure. <laughs> There's a lot of... Re- I, here, here, like, uh, I mean, at this point, I mean, we talk about this all the time. Nobody knows what the hell. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. <clears throat> choked on choked on my own um, disbelief. Um, <laughs> nobody knows what James Gunn is going to do at this point. And we've all, you know, we've talked about it. The internet talks about it. Yeah. I think even the most ardent DC fan at this point feels like it would be great to just have a fresh start. That being yep. said, there are relationships. There is the fact that Gal Gadot is a very beloved Wonder Woman, despite Wonder Woman 84 maybe not uh, being everyone's cup of tea. True. But I think there's a lot of reasons that you develop a, a project. And not all of them mean that that project's going forward. They might still be hedging their bets. They might want to keep Gal around for relationship reasons. There's like There's just a ton of reasons that you'd be like, look, let's develop a Wonder Woman 3 with Gal, sure. Maybe they're developing a Wonder Woman without her as well. Like unless unless they announce that she is showing up in that Amazon series that they're doing for HBO Max. Right. That was uh, at this point, sure. Like, is it smart to figure out what a Wonder Woman three movie would be if you were going to continue what that Wonder Woman franchise and how it fits into James Gunn and Peter Safran's plans? Sure, develop it. Doesn't mean yeah. you're gonna make it. Right. So you know, and also I do think, and you said this on Twitter, John, and I think it's true. Um, unless James Gunn and Peter Safran came out and said, yes, we are doing that. That's also like, maybe they said that to her and she said it. And they're over in their Warner Brothers uh, Legion of Doom right now going, <laughs> oh, I really wish you hadn't said that. Uh, this is going to blow up the internet. So you just never know. I mean, yeah. I at this point, we are going to cover these stories probably for the next year between her and Momoa and Ezra Miller and everyone else under the sun saying, yes, I'm in, I might not be in. I had a really good meeting. I can't say anything. Hey, stay tuned. I really love this character. They're all going to say everything. And until these movies come out, we don't know. Yeah. It's quite a quagmire right now, uh, Sean. And that's, I'm sorry, Shannon. And that's saying something about DC. Do we have a new geek buddy? Sorry. 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 Um, I was thinking Sean Gunn, James Gunn. I was making those connections. It's my bad. Uh, But yeah, we have a quagmire and that's saying something because DC is full of quagmires and uh, quicksand and all kinds of drop-offs. It's like pitfall Harry over there for those of you old enough to remember that. But this situation here, here we go again, Shannon. Do you think that Gal is going into business for herself, as we use the old wrestling term. Or do you think that this is legitimate? She did have discussions. Did they have these discussions to try to kind of maybe smooth things over? Remember, Cavill said that they had had discussions about maybe looking at him down the road. Affleck, uh, Gunn said that he was going to bring Affleck back to possibly direct the movie. There's conversations about Affleck coming back to direct in the DC universe. But after the Flash debacle, the Shazam 2 debacle, uh, and then now we've got Blue Beetle possibly going to be underperforming uh, in this whole situation now. And this is a $200 million movie possibly underperforming. Do you think Zaslav is maybe going, uh, maybe we should retake a look at all of this and bring back somebody that it, it is universally beloved as this character of Wonder Woman? What do you think these comments mean, Shane? Well, I'll tell you, Jonas, um, when I first read the uh, read the article, um, it, 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 it had stated I read it on DarkHorizons.com and it states mm-hmm. that this even though the interview was just published, it was actually conducted back in June. 
mm. um, right after David Corrin Sweat and Rachel Brosnahan had been announced as uh, Clark yeah. and Lois. Um, so, but also even even the framing of her statement, from what I hear. Yes. From, 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 you know, I mean, it's very noncommittal. And in terms of, you know, as you all both already said, unless James Gunn says this, um, even if James Gunn does, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. I mean, point. in terms of the, the this new DC universe that they're going to launch, in my opinion, I think you have to throw everything out. And that includes a stellar performer like Viola Davis. I'm like any sort of connection to the previous iteration. I'm like, I think you have to wipe the board clean at this point. Um, and even though I thought gal, I, I really like that first wonder woman movie. Yeah. And in Zack Snyder's justice league, you know, she was okay. Um, yeah. that wonder woman 84 and outs and, other things that she has performed in, I don't think Gal Gadot is the strongest performer. Right. Um, I thought she had a very, very directed performance in that first movie. And in the second movie, it just, it, it just, there was a lot of things that didn't work. One of them being Gal's performance. So at this point, I mean, and again, this is just my opinion. I think you kind of just have to wipe the slate clean, start over and yeah, I mean, I think as you said, Johnny, um, Gal is probably, you know, banging the drum a little bit for herself because my guess is my guess is she ain't coming back, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you can be in business with Netflix all you want, but it doesn't mean that that actually translates to legitimate success overall for yourself theatrically. Right. I mean, Jennifer Lopez, not known to be the greatest of actresses. Certainly she's had certain hits that have been good, certain performances rather. But she goes with The Mother, which is universally panned by most of the critics, yet it's one of the highest rated view counts on Netflix. So if that's what we're going for, then we're, then we're changing the narrative of what is considered successful, what isn't considered successful. And maybe with Red Notice getting the high numbers that it got, which is why we got two sequels, Gal Gadot about to come out with this action movie here. Maybe this is where people go who just want to feel this feeling like they're somewhat wanted by the public and respected to a degree. They go to Netflix and do these action movies because, yeah, Gal isn't the strongest actress. That being said, though, people love her as Wonder Woman. So I, are they... Are, is James looking to recast Wonder Woman? What's that process going to be like? And will they bring her on to pass the mantle on to do a new Wonder Woman? I don't know. There's a possibility here. Michael, you going to say something? Yeah. First I, first, I think I don't think that people go to Netflix to get these high numbers to feel wanted. I think they go to Netflix. Have you ever met an actor, Mike? Every actor, every actor wants attention. But I'm saying yeah. like these actors and actresses are going to do these movies on Netflix and people are watching them. So they're not feeling wanted. They're wanted. Like well, people fair, do fair. like watching these performers, like sure. just because they don't open movies anymore. Like the, the whole going into a movie and movie stars opening movies, that era has kind of gone out the window anyway. Like mm. not even Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts, George Clooney can just open a movie now the way that they used to. All that being said, you are right. Like, like regardless of anyone's opinion, on Gal Gadot's performance on anything else, people do like her as Wonder Woman. I think yeah. that's the challenge that they're struggling with. Jason Momoa, even though he's not my Aquaman and he's not necessarily what I think of as what I would want my perfect Aquaman to be, he's certainly charismatic. He's certainly yeah. likable. I don't like that Aquaman movie. 
I generally think he's fun in the role. So, you know, that's the that's where they that's where the rubber meets the road. I did see kind of to Shannon's point on Viola Davis and some of the other things. I saw somebody say this on Twitter and it, it's 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 an interesting take, but I didn't fully disagree with it. I I, I can't find the name, uh, the screen name of who said it right now, but mm -hmm. they said, you know, if James Gunn and Peter Saffron want to keep Peacemaker around, want to keep Viola Davis, Davis as Amanda yeah. Waller, want to keep some of these other characters and just sort of shift them over and say, hey, just pretend they were always, you know, like, just don't even worry about it. I think <laughs> that people would go with it. But when it comes to Wonder Woman and the Justice League in general, yeah. you, that's where you have to, like, make some hard decisions. Because once you've recast Superman and Batman... Like Wonder Woman is part of that DC Trinity. So yeah. having two that are brand new younger actors and then Gal coming in, it just doesn't, the balance isn't exactly right. And I think right. that's where they're going to have a hard time justifying. Whereas, I mean, I tend to agree with Shannon. I think just wiping the slate clean and recasting everybody. But I just think that Viola Davis, for all that she's been in different movies as Amanda Waller, has never yeah. really gotten to Amanda Waller the way that she could Amanda Waller. And so, yeah, you know, I, I personally, I can't speak to everybody and I don't know what they're planning. If yeah. some, if, if Peacemaker, Amanda Waller, some of these other characters sort of just slid over and continued on with a whole new justice league and just said, okay, we're going to do this. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that would be a problem. Whereas the wonder woman, Aquaman flash, some of those characters I think is a little bit more challenging. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, real quick, I want to throw this in and get your guys' quick thoughts. Not a, not a, uh, you know, a Roga roundup or whatever. Uh, real quick though, uh, rumors came out. Uh, this is from uh, was it uh, Scooper Daniel RPK, who has been right on some things uh, over time. I recently claimed on Patreon that the um, Matt Matt Smith from Doctor Who and House of the Dragon was quote the last actor to get an offer unquote to play the MCU's Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four. Stream Entertainment reached out to Smith's reps. For comment on the matter, then uh, uh, they said as of June 28th, we have independently confirmed the Matt Smith reps uh, that as of June 28th, he was not cast as Reed Richards in the upcoming Fantastic Four. However, they revealed in a later post, Stream Entertainment did, that they had reached out to the actor's reps again on August 2nd after this broke again, and the outlet was met with a, quote, no comment. Uh, so, uh, Shannon, I'll go to you first on this one. Thoughts? Matt Smith as Reed Richards? I mean, there were rumors about Adam Driver, then... We talked on the hot mic that he wasn't going to come back. Adam, or the, that Adam Driver actually was wasn't in serious consideration for this. There, there have been talk about how much money they actually want to spend on Fantastic Four. So, real quick thoughts on Matt Smith as possibly Reed Richards. I mean, I guess in terms of affordability, he might be cheaper yeah, <laughs> than, yeah, than sure. Adam Driver. Sure. Um, you know, uh, Matt Smith. You know, who I thought was really, really great in House of the Dragon. And the last thing that I, the last few things that I've seen him in, he's always kind of had, he's played more that that villainous role, like last night in Soho, uh, uh, Morbius. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he could be a really, really interesting choice. I think Matt Smith is a very, very good actor. Um, do I see him as Reed Richards? Uh, not so much, but I never would have thought he would have played such a tremendous badass in House, House of the Dragon. So it's, that's certainly possible, but you know, for me, it's always going to be Krasinski. Yes. Um, even though I got more into like, oh, maybe Adam Driver would be good. You know, it, it's when this cast finally gets announced in June of 2030. Um, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to who the, who the names are actually going to be. I would love to see Adam Driver as Reed Richards. Turn your flame off, uh, <laughs> uh, Michael. Your thoughts on this, Matt Smith, Reed Richards? Yes or no? 
I think if you played a Doctor Who, you basically have done all the legwork to play a Reed Richards. That's like, a great point. I, I think I think I think Matt Smith is probably better a better role a better choice for Reed Richards than John Krasinski or Adam Driver because Ooh. he's already played a super smart, slightly flighty. I am smarter than everybody else in the room, and I deal with cosmic weird shit for seasons. So, yeah, cast a Doctor Who as Reed Richards. It makes sense. Okay. All right. All right. There we go. All right. So one of the quick thoughts. Uh, let's move on to you, Michael, next. Uh, what do you got for us? Ugh. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a fun little that was a fun little chat. Now let's talk about the shitty news. Um, so, yes, as, as most people listening know this week, uh, actor Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, um, died after uh, a cancer diagnose di- died from a cancer that revealed that he had been dealing with cancer for several years uh, at 70 years old. So. Uh, the statement from his uh, team last night, we said farewell to Paul Rubens, an iconic American actor, comedian, writer, and producer whose beloved character, Pee Wee Herman, delighted generations of children and adults with his positivity, whimsy, and belief in the importance of kindness. Uh, actually, Paul Rubens left a letter as well uh, saying, please accept my apology for not going public with what I've been facing these last six years. I have always felt a huge amount of love and respect from my friends, fans, and supporters. I have loved you all so much and enjoyed making art for you. Um, so what people might not know is that the reason that Paul Rubens rocketed to fame in the first place was, uh, from his, his LA stage show, mm-hmm. uh, about Pee Wee and his playhouse that then HBO filmed, uh, and aired as a special, a, mm-hmm. just aired the stage show as a special, which led to Tim Burton making Pee Wee's big adventure, which then led to Pee Wee's playhouse, which was based on the stage show going on to Saturday morning and airing for a bajillion years. Um, so Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, all of us of a certain age grew up with him, yeah. uh, grew up through, through Pee Wee Herman being the biggest thing in the world, Pee Wee Herman on Saturday morning, Paul Rubens getting in trouble for exposing himself in an adult theater in Sarasota, falling off the map, coming back later in life, doing some solid roles. I was lucky enough a few years back to go see uh, later in life. He actually did another stage version of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Uh, He did it here in L.A. I got to go see him and go backstage afterwards and meet him like he's kind of been in all of our lives. So as we kind of say goodbye to Paul Rubens and Pee Wee Herman, gentlemen. When you think of Paul Rubens, what are your iconic Pee Wee Herman slash Paul Rubens moments that are going to stick with you? Good. Well, uh, you know, obviously, aside from Pee Wee Herman and aside from his um, him popping up in in the Batman in the Batman universe, whether it be in Batman Returns or Gotham, um, you all are going to make fun of me. Uh, but the the thing, the performance that really stands out to me is his performance as the spleen in Mystery Men. So <laughs> for, for, our, yes. for our younger audience members back in 1999, prior to the MCU, um, there was a, a superhero, a, a, a comic superhero film that was based on a graphic uh, on a comic called mystery men it's a bunch of homemade superheroes whose powers aren't really that powerful um and paul rubens played a character named the spleen whose power was his ability to fart (laughs) and it was a universal film 
back then uh, in, in Orlando, where I was at the time, Universal uh, Studios employees, we, we would get special employee screenings and they would do it at like the proper City Walk Theater. So it's in a nice big theater. Um, we saw it about a week before, packed house, um, and the crowd loved this movie. And the character that they loved the most was the spleen. Paul Rubens is so funny in this movie. And I remember watching that movie being like, man, I think star Wars episode one is going to have a, it's going to be, it's going to be a race because mystery men, that was just fantastic. So I told all of my friends who were not (laughs) universal employees, we got to go see this movie on opening night. (laughs) And while the theater was probably about a quarter of the of the size of the employee screening, I would say the response was less than a quarter from the audience. But the one thing that the non-universal audience did really like, consistently got laughs, was Paul Rubens' The Spleen. Again, this is not a fantastic film, um, but his performance in it is so, so funny. He had such a way, he had such an endearing way um, even when he's, you know, farting in Jeffrey Rush's face as a means of attack. <laughs> um, so that is that is my one of my fondest memories of Paul Rubens on screen. I, you know, I, I grew up at the time when that came out. Like that was the perfect time as a teenager when Pee Wee's Big Adventure came out. You know, you you didn't know who Tim Burton was. Uh, you didn't know. I, I had I wasn't old enough to see. Well, I wasn't allowed to see the Pee Wee Herman special. We didn't have HBO growing up. Uh, we couldn't afford it, unlike the Vogel household. We couldn't afford it, so we couldn't see those stand-ups and stuff like that. I just watched it. I just watched it floating in my pool, smoking a cigar at eight years old. It was fine. <laughs> Baby Fenster over here shaving. Over. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I remember, but I remember seeing uh, him in something, and I can't remember what it was. And it was like, oh, we got to go see this movie. And then we went to go see it. I remember, and just. It was so wonderful, so different, such a, a, a breath of fresh air. And then I watched Pee Wee's Playhouse. I mean, I watched it for years as a fun Saturday morning over my serial, you know, thing to do. It was cool to see it. And then you saw so many great actors like Lawrence Fishburne, uh, S. Epitha Markerson, Markerson, so many great actors roll through there. Phil Hartman had a fun role on there many times. And so it was great to see that. But I also go went back and watched some other stuff. He popped up in a Cheech and Chong film as some mm-hmm. dude talking about cocaine and being the waiter. Like that shocked the shit out of me. But then seeing his appearances on Late Night and then seeing his work, of course, loved Mystery Men. I just recently watched his Andy Samberg digital short that he did on SNL. And that is one of the funniest things I've ever seen, you know. And so his ability to bring that character to life over and over and over again in different scenarios and make them work for the different scenarios, I think spoke to the genius of his talent uh, as, as this character never really broke out as Paul Rubin separate from Pee Wee Herman, but he, there was so much to enjoy about his work, but as Michael alluded to, it's a complicated legacy for me all the nostalgia is great, but exposing himself in the movie theater, but then in 2001, right as he was coming back after blow and he's fantastic in blow, by the way, um, he gets caught with child pornography, uh, with obscene images of underage uh, uh, kids uh, in his house. And that is uh, an unfortunate thing and a terrible thing. You know, at a time when we're talking about, you know, child trafficking and those pedophiles in Hollywood and shit, this kind of stuff, I think, has to be lumped in and factored into the overall scope of the man's legacy. But at the end of the day, 
he entertained so many people. And I would imagine so many people who maybe were on the edge of giving up, watched his shows or watched his movies. And it gave them a little more strength to get, to go forward. It made them maybe believe in life a little bit more, find a way out. You just never know with this kind of entertainment, how it can help certain people at certain down times in their lives. And Pee Wee had a way of transcending generations uh, and Paul Rubens did a wonderful job of that character. So it is, it's a shame in six years of cancer. That's uh, you wouldn't wish that on anybody. It's a terrible, terrible disease, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I, you know, when you think of like Paul Rubens, Robin Williams, just so many different people yeah, yeah, yeah. where, uh, you know, their, their public persona was so uh, beloved, but like really struggled with things personally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to varying degrees of, you know, like Robin Williams, obviously, there's no like, you know, indecent exposure, child pornography. Right, he was right. just really troubled, really depressed. But like, you know, these people that were able to bring so much joy in their public personas, it's just, you do sort of, you have to weigh it all. You're right, yeah. John. But like you also, they, at the same time, like, you know, there's, there's a level of empathy to all of it. And I think, you know, to your point, I was a little bit younger than you. So when I saw uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the thing that I love about Pee Wee's Big Adventure is when I saw it as a kid, that, it, it wasn't hilarious to me. It was real. This dude woke up. Somebody <laughs> stole his fucking bike. He loved that bike. And he was going to do anything to get that bike. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, this is, this is, this is for reals. <laughs> Uh, then I got older and I was like, okay, no, it's kind of funny too. But, uh, but I loved it. I mean, I just thought it could be, and it's because like he, he managed to do this thing as Pee Wee Herman, where he tapped into the mind of a child and was able to access that. So Pee Wee Herman never felt like he was making fun of kids. He never felt like he was like, it was just, everything was a hundred percent genuine and that's why it worked. And, you know, we talk so much about, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers and what Mr. Rogers did mm. for entertainment. But people don't forget when Pee Wee's Playhouse came out, he was for like from 1986 to like 1991 or whatever it was that Pee Wee's yeah. Playhouse aired on, on Saturday morning. That was the modern day Mr. Rogers and Pee Wee and his Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens in his own way had a show that was all about being kind, being creative, yeah. using your imagination. And just like, as much as like Mr. Rogers and the neighborhood of make-believe and King Friday and Lady Elaine was like one generation's thing. This was like conky and cherry and jombie and mecha like a high, mecha hiney ho. And like, <laughs> that was so formative. Um, you know, I, I always, I often wonder with, with people like Paul Rubens, like to your point, mm -hmm. he never really broke out of Pee Wee Herman. He will, he, he was the spleen. He was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He was right. great in Blow. Oh, he did, yes. he did a lot of great roles, yeah. but he's always and forever going to be Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. And in a, in one way, you're like, ah, does he wish he could have broken out of that? And in another way, you're like, what a fucking legacy. Yeah. Like Pee Wee Herman meant so much to so many people that, you know, maybe, maybe you didn't move beyond that fully in a way that you did want to, or you were okay with, but still it's a hell of a legacy to leave behind. Yeah, and so many people have come out and talked about how he inspired them uh, to, I, I, as performers as they were going up. I mean, one of the big reasons he created Pee Wee Herman is because SNL rejected him. When SNL rejected him, he it made him focus on that L.A. one-person show, and that's yeah. what he created. And you just never know. Sometimes the door closes for a reason because you got to go and do it on your own and create something else. And certainly that can be a lesson for anybody who's out there wanting to be part of a collective and then re being rejected, realizing, no, I can actually do – I have more freedom to do it my way 
And certainly he was one of those people for sure. Um, all right. Well, so rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> rest in peace for you, Owen, for sure. And Paul Rubens. And uh, we'll be, take a quick break and we'll be right back right after this. You have our trailers. Let's do it. With trailers, trailers, and one going into our main topic, but we're not going to get there yet. Trailers. So our first trailer is actually a, uh, looks like a very, very sweet, smaller movie called Jules. So this stars Ben Kingsley, Jane Curtin, and our favorite mistress from Succession, uh, Zoe Winter. <laughs> um, Zoe Winters, excuse me. Um, so yeah, this is essentially E.T., but instead of, uh, instead of finding a, a kid, this alien finds a septuagenarian couple in a Western Pennsylvania town. Um, this looks absolutely delightful. I love when Ben Kingsley plays these types of vulnerable roles. Um, this one definitely kind of slipped under the radar. The trailer came out a few weeks ago, but the movie's coming out very, very soon. But gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you. What did you think of our first look at Jules? Johnny, why don't you take it away? Listen, this is in my wheelhouse. Um, you know, I'm getting older. Uh, I'm relating to older people as I get older. And so the idea... <laughs> Of an alien landing and then, uh, you know, finding you've a way. You've been to... getting older for 20 years. Well, Every true. time we well, talk, uh, getting we old, all? guys. You've been saying this since we were in our 20s. Well, because I've been older than you since we were in our 20s. But anyway. <laughs> he was in his 30s at that time. <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, but no, but like, I, I like this vibe. I love that all, the, all these older actors are part of this uh, as well. So it's nice to see them all these character actors being a part of this thing and the, what their reaction would be, right? And of course, we're knee deep in these uh, crazy UFO hearings that are going on and all the madness that's going on around that. Did you see anything? Well, no, but my brother, sister's boyfriend's girlfriend told me that there are ships, alien ships in there. So we're seeing that kind of nonsense taking up our some section of our uh, um, the pop culture zeitgeist here. And so it seems like a nice timing to come in. And I like these kind of smaller films about aliens, right? What was it, Dave or Paul? What was the one with Simon Pegg and Paul? Paul? Yeah, I like those smaller ones that have a little more humor to them. This one has kind of a very heartwarming vibe to it. And clearly there is something here that this alien is filling in Ben Kingsley's character's life that he has not come to terms with. And it has little E.T. vibes to it, but it also has that kind of small town humor vibe to it, like uh, State Maine. So I like that we're getting this all com uh, combined into this. And the producer is Mark Turtletaub, who hasn't directed many things, but he's produced uh, a number of things here, like Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood uh, and uh, White Fang and, all the and Loving, which was a fantastic uh, film as well about the first interracial uh, couple in, in Virginia. And also... A little Miss Sunshine. So we've got some pedigree on the directing side uh, here on this. So I hope it's a good little fun movie. Probably not a lot of people are going to go see it, but I think it'll be a joy to watch. What do you guys? Oh, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I thought it was super cute. E.T. meets Cocoon. I mean, yeah, it's it's the perfect it's the perfect little thing. And you know, you, what I love about it is you really get a sense of what it's about. Like Ben Kingsley sort of going to the neighborhood meeting 
and kind of, you know, here's what's going on. We need a, we need a crosswalk here. People are getting mad here. It's like this whole idea that the younger people don't listen to the older people. Yes. Uh, right. Even when Jane Curtin is like, you know, you, you're making us look bad when you talk about these UFOs. And the fact that home dude, like he, he's not hiding it. He tells right. everybody he's got a UFO. Nobody listens to him because he's old. Um, <laughs> and it's just, it's real. And it's also really fun. Uh, what it's Harriet Sampson Harris. Yes. Uh, Jane Curtin and Ben Kingsley. It's really nice to see these older actors just really getting to sink their teeth into what looked like really, really fun, humorous, silly, yeah. like, like they're, they just look like they're having a good time and kind of, um, you know, in the same way that ET does, like, I love when we take a fantasy or sci-fi element and put it into a movie that tells a really real story about real emotion. Mm -hmm. And this idea that we sort of forget, at least in American culture, we tend to sort of forget about our old people. We kind of let them do their thing. We all have our issues with death. We don't want to think about it. So like they're doing their thing over here and we can kind of ignore them. And so the idea that we would completely ignore him when he's like, yeah, I gotta buy these, uh, gotta buy these apples for the alien living in the backyard. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay, grandpa. Um, it just looks delightful. And yeah, to, to, to what you guys were saying, like just watching Ben Kingsley play a role like this yeah, yeah. is all Ben Kingsley, you know, one of the great dramatic uh, thespians of our age, but when he goes funny, he's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, the, the exchange between uh, Ben Kingsley and Jane Curtin, when he says they can kill Jane Curtin to keep her quiet and she's, I'll kill you. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that type of, of interaction, like that's just, I think that's just, you know, the, the, the foundation that this, that this, you know, comedy is going to be built on. And yeah. again, uh, as John said, this is, you know, from, from the producers of the farewell, little miss sunshine. Yeah. Um, this is not the type of movie as Johnny already stated, that people are necessarily going to rush out into the see that rush out to the theaters to see, um, which is a shame because I think it it probably with a with a good crowd, I bet this would be a a lot of fun, a lot of fun to watch in a theater. But this one comes out uh, next week, August eleventh. Yeah. I'm glad they're still making movies like this. I really am, I dude. So me too. Man. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Me too. Um, I mean. Go ahead, it, it, yeah. No, I mean, we talked about this a lot. I mean, this is, and it'll be interesting to see where the future goes. And we've talked about this since the pandemic came out. Like movies like this are always going to have a place. We yeah. always were going to want to see movies like this. Now, maybe movies like this end up going to streaming. Maybe these are the types of movies that you get on Apple Plus, that you get on Amazon Prime and not, not coming out in the movies. And maybe we reserve movie theaters for our big things. Like, I think that would be a shame, but also like that's because that's the way I grew up watching movies. Like as long right. as we get somewhere where these types of stories are still being told and we can still enjoy them and that we have like great actors who get to do awesome, amazing things, kind of having a lot of fun doing something a little lighter, a little sillier. Like I, I really enjoy that they still happen, whether or not they continue to happen in theaters or in streaming. I'm glad we still get them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, going from a heartwarming tale to a tale that will physically remove your heart and set it ablaze, we have the trailer <laughs> for Saw 10 or Saw X. Um, so so again, I'm, I'm not a fan of this of this particular type of film. I've only seen the first Saw movie. And even though I thought it was very inventive, I'm like, yeah, I don't need, I don't need to go back to that world. Um, but the thing that I do think is really, really interesting about this trailer and the premise of this movie is the fact that it takes place in between saw one and saw two where john kramer jigsaw is trying to have his um try, trying to uh, have uh his his cancer 
operated on. And this is this is a straight up revenge tale. And for anyone that's ever wanted to take revenge on your uh, on your HMO, I think I think this might be right up your alley. So, gentlemen, what did you think of our first look at Saw X? Mikey, take it away. <laughs> so I know I like to make fun of Shannon a lot for not wanting to go see the scary movies. I will happily go see Saw if forced to right, do it. Right. But I I love horror movies. I love scary movies. The entire subgenre of torture porn has just never yeah. been my jam. Like, yes, there is a weird uh adrenaline rush thrill freak out that you get when you see these situations. And I think Saw was maybe the first one that led to Hostel and all these other movies that did similar things. But like right. I just don't think it's as for me it's not as engaging to just watch people in these situations where it's like you have to pull out a piece of your brain matter or else this happens i'm like yeah that's disgusting and you are definitely going to make me squirm in my seat but i would much rather much rather go see the exorcist movie and Mm. see some demon shit or see like a horror movie or a suspense thriller or a ghost thing or a paranormal activity. Like I, I prefer being scared to being, uh, grossed I don't out. even know what the gross, it's not even grossed out. Cause it's not, e- I mean, yes, it's gross, but it's not even that it grosses me out. The uncomfortable feeling of watching mm. somebody decide, am I going to cut off my pinky or not? Like there's definitely a physical reaction. I get why people are like, yeah, I went to see that. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like, it, that that feeling uh, is lower on my list of feelings that I enjoy. It's why I've never seen 127 hours. I don't want to watch a guy saw <laughs> off his fucking arm to get out of that situation. I just don't. I've never made myself watch it because of that. And I'm with you, Michael. I'm not a fan of the torture porn. I actually hate Eli Roth bringing this thing out, like Hostel and all these other things. But Saw has a different kind of approach to it, which I don't mind, actually. And Seeing it here in this because it is it it, it is essentially um, representative of the little things that we do in our lives to cut off pieces of ourselves in order to exist in the situation, in order to fit into a situation, in order to be accepted into a situation. What morality do we swallow? What issues do we just not chime in about because we're afraid for one reason or another? So. In a way, what's going on literally is a figurative thing that we do in our lives. So I like that Saw has that kind of connective tissue. And here in this uh, um, particular trailer, I like that more of that continues. But also it's a commentary on the medical system and how sometimes the medical system can turn on the patient, not give a shit about the patient, forget about the patient, sometimes fuck up with the patient. It happens. Look, and I'm not saying that it is something that everyone's doing. I'm saying it happens, right? Sometimes People forget about a patient or misdiagnose a patient and stuff happens. So the anger, the revenge factor here, you can understand what he's coming from. And I imagine there's something more that happened, something more sinister here that's allowing him to go to these lengths. The other side of this in in the surface way is that going to a foreign country that you may see in your mind as a country that may not have the strongest healthcare situation just to save a little bit of money this is the horror that could happen to you in a situation like this. So I like that it's working on both levels. And so to me, from the trailer, I hope this is a good one. I never thought they would de-age Tobin Bell, but I guess they're going to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm in. I'm curious, if nothing else. I'm curious, if nothing else. I'll go see a Saw movie when they, like, do the Muppet version of a Saw movie. Like, it's all... You want to see 
Muppets get it? Like it's through? it's all Muppets except for like one actor, except for Tobin Bell. It. Except for Tobin Bell, like it's Tobin <laughs> Bell, and it's all Muppets, like that. Like then I'll go. Perfect. <laughs> didn't, didn't, uh, Melissa McCarthy do a film like that already? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that one didn't turn out too well. <laughs> but Saw X again, uh, even though I'm not a big fan of this type of film, <laughs> like, uh, like he wait, like he makes Gonzo, he puts Gonzo on the rack and keeps stretching him, waiting to see when Gonzo's gonna break, but Gonzo never breaks because he thinks it's great. Like Gonzo's like, I uh, think this is awesome. Like I would 100 percent see this Muppet Saw movie. Oh I mean, I'm, I'm in on I'm, it. I'm, I'm pretty sure they did that at some point in one of the Muppet movies. Um, but maybe it was with his nose. Uh, but Saw X comes out September 29th, right at the start of spooky season, right before yeah. Halloween. Perfect timing. Um, all right, let's take a quick break, and we'll jump into our main topic, which is uh, Shannon's third trailer here, Loki, right after this. Do, 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 do. Oh, oh. Shannon, take it away. One last trailer, brother. Yeah, so, you know, the MCU is at an interesting point. Um, there have been some films that have, have not <laughs> quite landed. <laughs> interesting is one way of putting it, sure. <laughs> some films that have not quite landed with the audience, some Disney Plus series that um, have, landed even, uh, have landed even less. But we're getting the trailer for Loki Season 2, and... What better way to start off your trailer than featuring Academy Award winner Kiwi Kwan? These are the continuing adventures of Loki and uh, Mobius from the Time Variance Authority. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it over to you, gentlemen. What did you think of our first look at Loki season two? The first second season we've got of any Disney Plus series thus far. Johnny, why don't oh, you take fine. it away? I totally forgot that it's the first second season. Yeah, um, I really really liked it it was much welcomed tonic from all the stuff that's been going on on marvel certainly after secret invasion uh this looks awesome just awesome the time slipping which is very reminiscent of spider-verse so i don't know if they're messing around here in certain ways um love seeing kihi kwan this i said this in my trailer reaction which is up on the channel uh it felt like this is what data is. This is data's natural progression to end up here in this situation. Cause he's, a, he's being described as the Q, the James Bond version of Q in this universe or in the TVA rather. So I like that. That means he's got all the gadgets and he can suggest things. Him putting that tape on, on, on Mobius's helmet is hilarious and see the conversations plus what he might be representing here. Uh, if you look at the Marvel um, history of a character with this name, uh, it could be really interesting, plus his representation in Norse mythology of the snake that eats its tail. What does it mean? So there's there's a lot here to explore with him. We have Zaniac uh, being a part of this, which had been kind of rumored with some of these shots from the set. Zaniac is a serial killer, uh, an actor who gets possessed by the spirit of the serial killer. What does that mean? So there's so much here that I enjoyed. And yes, we got a little bit of Victor Timely, a little bit of Jonathan Majors. Obviously, that's kind of up in the air. And of course, at this, uh, we're recording this. His his uh, assault trial has been pushed to September, which is really curious. So I wonder why that is. And and but uh, getting to touch base with Sylvie, getting to touch base with Loki and Mobius. Those are the three, right? And then we got B fifteen in different timelines. So we're going to be going all over the place as we try to figure out how to put the timeline back together. And I wonder if this is the beginning of the end of this multiverse stuff 
And I bet Kevin Feige is breathing a huge sigh of relief that we've gotten to this point where we start now finding a way to put it back together to create a main sacred timeline again and uh, get everybody back on board instead of all this multiverse shit. Uh, Michael, what did you think? Uh yeah, I thought I thought it was really great. I mean, you know, I, and, and apparently we aren't the only ones that thought it was great because uh, as of this recording, uh, the Loki trailer has hit a new milestone, becoming the biggest online trailer debut ever for a Disney Plus series with 80 million views. So wow. clearly, uh, I think Disney, Marvel, everybody's probably breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief because... Uh, I don't think John is the only one that feels like this is the tonic they need. Like, despite the fact that in general interest level in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole is definitely on the wane, it seems like interest in the next season of Loki is very high. Like, lots of my friends who skipped Secret Invasion entirely, didn't see Quantumania... Um, still are really into Loki and want to see season two. So I think this is a really good uh, opportunity for Marvel to sort of claw back a little bit of that energy if Loki uh, season two delivers. Um, yeah, great to see Kihi Kwan. Uh, and great, you know, his name is, uh, to, to John, yeah. uh, to John's point, his name is Ouroboros, Ouroboros. Uh, rumored to be Ouroboros, which is the snake or dragon that eats its own tail, which I think is interesting because, like, he's, so he's the snake that eats his own tail. Mobius is named after the Mobius strip, which is sort mm. of an infinite loop. So just the idea that, like, the TVA, the, you know, the, the sacred timeline, which is represented as a giant loop like and you look throughout the trailer i mean the very first shot of mobius and loki coming together is a circle so it's like you just yeah. go through that loki trailer and count all the circles and how like just stylistically thematically uh it's those little details that to me make it feel like the show really knows what it is and what it's about yeah. like this is a show that like even down to the set design they're like here are the themes and the names of the characters like here's the names we're hit, we're hit. and so for me that always gives me um a sense of comfort <laughs> like it's like okay <laughs> you you still might not stick the landing but you're not just hey let's make some shit see if it works like you've got a goal here um you know pick the the, the kang like look kang might be up in the air for the mcu he's not up in the air for loki season two the shit's right. done it's airing like even if his trial comes out in september and the worst happens they're not reshooting the October Loki season two. Like it's coming out. So we will definitely get Jonathan Majors kanging his best Kang as Victor Timely um, yeah. and seeing where that goes. A couple of things that really jumped out at me. One, um, with both B-15 and, um, oh, what is it? Casey? Uh, Cordero plays. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, Eugene Cordero's Casey. role. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Eugene, yeah, yeah. yeah. Casey. So both of B15 and Casey, we learned at the end of last season that a lot of these people working at the TVA were like variants that have been pulled out of, yes. of timelines that were no, that got pruned. And so that was a big discovery for B15. And now are, are these new characters in the new TVA? Are we jumping to different TVAs? Like, you know, a couple yeah. things like we saw the, um, what are they called? The three fake Chuck E. Cheese robots at the yeah, end of Loki. Timekeepers. Yeah. Thank you. Timekeepers. Uh, you know, we see, like, even in that shot where Loki sort of takes the staff and reveals the Kang statues that mm. looks like the three Kangs we saw at the end of Quantumania. Um, but they're behind uh, a sort of mural of the Timekeepers, and we even see a robot's head in front of him. So even if it, like, basically the trailer seems like 
whether it's fully the council of kangs or whatever that the council of kangs still like set up the tva the same way so that mobius and ouroboros and everybody think they're working for the tva but it's really the council of kangs behind everything yeah. is victor timely the kang that we saw at the end of quantum mania did he get sucked out of the quantum realm and end up back in time so like lots of really interesting things like that to see where it's all fitting um another thing that i thought was interesting is victor timely's invention that he's showing mm. off at the world's fair looks really similar to that massive epic mega thing that mobius in his spacesuit is walking out to deal with oh, so point, yeah. when you when you're looking at this trailer uh you're starting to see okay wait like, what's going on here you're starting to put the pieces together the thing that i didn't notice until i was reading some of the uh breakdowns of the easter eggs yeah. sylvie when she's working at mcdonald's uh <laughs> in that one shot yeah. that mcdonald's tag if you look closely at it i went back and looked at the trailer where you would usually have like your three to five stars as your rating. Those are little miss minutes. Right. So great points. Again, lots of like really interesting details of is, are we going to be jumping through different TVAs? Is this just the, the council of Kang TVAs? Right. What's going to be going on? Like, looks like, uh, it looks like a packed season. So like, it's, I think it's one of those shows. Like, I think, we haven't had this sort of break down the trailer, look at the Easter eggs. What does this mean? What's really going on? Like this is how we used to feel about Marvel stuff back yeah. in yeah. our heyday when we were really excited. And we haven't really felt like that in a while. So it's nice to see a trailer where you kind of look at every shot and try and translate it. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully it gives them what they want. It gives us all what we want. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best way to put it, Mikey, is this this harkens back to that age of promise at the beginning of phase four, when um, universally it seemed like WandaVision was pretty liked, Falcon Winter Soldier, the promise of a new Captain America, even though the the show hit hit a few hit a few uh, roadblocks. Um, the promise of a new Captain America was so exciting. And Loki, I do believe Loki has been the most um, most watched disney plus series it's because it's so, the best one so you know well i mean i mean i i think it has some of the best episodes i will ap- yeah. i will absolutely agree after the trailer came out i went and started kind of poking around and yeah. episode two i think is so so strong episode five and episode six i mean a lot of people didn't love episode six because it was essentially one six. giant jonathan majors monologue yeah, yeah. um but i actually really really enjoyed it and the way it set up what was to come because basically the mobius that we're seeing in this trailer i mean if it's picking up right after season two that's not the mobius that loki no. connected yeah, with right. in our first season yeah. um so i mean and again i just love that analog look of the TVA. I think from a production design standpoint, they did such a strong job with that. It is, it is a world, I think as Vogel already said, it is a world that is presenting itself and it knows exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And to the Miss Minutes, seeing her, seeing, you know, maybe the precursor to Miss Minutes doing her best Stay Puff Marshmallow Man at, at the World's Fair, that it just looks really really exciting stay puff marshmallow man meets the ghosts from pac-man um, <laughs> even when even when miss minutes is gonna go full scary she's just like i'm a 1930s ghost from a cartoon <laughs> I'm, gonna text, I'm gonna text tara strong i'm gonna be like what is this ghost thing um yeah, yeah the one the one thing i think john you're not 100 percent right on is this is not the end of the multiverse. We're not getting back to a sacred timeline. After also, this isn't season. the like, beginning of the end is what I said. Do you think this is the beginning of fixing the rift? That's what I was. Uh, well, 
if the title Secret Wars is anything to go by, we're not fixing the rift. We're destroying <laughs> the entire point. universe. Good point. Like mm-hmm. we're like like I to, to Shannon's point, I personally love episode six of Loki. Like yeah, I, I could watch whatever happens to Jonathan Majors and wherever his career goes, whether he kangs or doesn't kang. He might be an asshole. He might be a bad person in real life. He's a fantastic actor. And that monologue in C- in the in episode six of Loki, to me, is banger and basically tells you exactly what's going to happen. Like, yeah. there's a bunch of Kangs. They're going to fight. The multiversal war is coming. We're not stopping the multiversal war. The multiversal war is going to happen. There's a movie called The Kang Dynasty. It's going to get wacky. And then somebody, I have my guesses on who, but somebody is going to take the pieces after the entire multiverse collapses and there is nothing left and build something that leads to secret wars. So I think, I don't, I don't think we fix this and get a sacred timeline. I think we destroy the entire multiverse completely. It'll be a super scroll. It'll be Gaia who puts it all together, maybe. I think uh. it's a doctor. <laughs> Oh, oh, doctor oh. who puts it back together Dr. Matt and uh, and his and and his last name starts with a D. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, let's look at some pictures here. I mean, it's such a great look at the, look at the visuals of this and the time and attention to the production design. Even like of- the yeah, even like on his uh, on his um, above his pocket, like yes. the circles, like the or- right. Ouroboros, like you just see it everywhere. That's a good point, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and this is what you were talking about here, going towards that, supposedly the, trying to fix the sacred timeline. How does he How does he get Mobius back on his side? How does he get this version of Mobius on his side to do the things that he's doing? Um, I mean, look, Mobius yeah. seems like a pretty laid back guy. And we do see a shot in the trailer where Loki's in front of some jet skis. He, he knows what Mobius wants. Mobius wants to jet yeah. ski. Maybe he goes Give jet skiing with Mobius. That's Give awesome. the man a jet ski. He'll do whatever you want. He <laughs> wants his jet skis and he wants his key lime pie. That's that's all he wants. It was good pie. And let's take a look at some of these shots uh, here of Sylvie. I, let me tell you something. I remember the costumes on the left. I'm old enough to remember going into the old school McDonald's 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. There's the Miss Minutes there at the bottom, as you were saying, Mike, on the five stars uh, below yeah. her name. Right. But it's interesting, you know, I mean, for everyone listening on the podcast, we got these three images of so of Sylvie and you've got right. Sylvie in the McDonald's thing, Sylvie uh, in the two other shots in the trailer. And yeah. in some of the shots, particularly the middle shot where she has that like sort of black stuff going over her, she looks very confused. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of questions of, you know, obviously at the end of the at the end of season one, Loki shows up and B-15 and Mobius don't know what he's talking about. It's clearly a very different TVA. We see the statues of Kang. Um, are is Sylvie yeah. also out of time? Like the two of them right. were sort of in the center of everything when uh, everything went to shit in the multiverse happened. So does Sylvie remember everything? Are Sylvie and Loki the only two that remember the previous TVA? And is everybody else sort of in this new timeline? So I think that's going to be really interesting to see as well. Also, to look at her in the the picture on the right. For those of you who yep. are on the podcast, I'm sorry, but you can watch this on the YouTube. She has an onk earring. And an Ankh is the symbol of eternal life in Egyptian culture. So yep. what does that mean for her version of Loki? Or, yeah, for Sylvie in her version of Lady Loki. Yeah, B-15 here in the different uh, uh, personifications. Of course, Wumi Musaka, fantastic actress, getting a chance to play all these different versions of B-15 in the different timelines is so cool. 
Yeah, uh, we saw her because in season one we saw her as uh, at the end of season one we saw that she was a school teacher. Yes, right. right. Is that what she was? Right. So yeah, now we see her in sort of this like sort of flapper outfit, and then we see her in the doctor outfit. So mm-hmm. de- I'm I think she is a fantastic actress. So the yes. more variants that she gets to play, the more I am into it. So definitely excited to where she goes to see where she goes. Yeah, and then Gugu and Batha Raw here as Raven Rain, uh, Rowena Raven Ravenslayer. Uh, seeing her being a part of this as well. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, I guess that's a gun that she's got in the left. And then on the right, she's so she's she's constantly strapped is what we're saying uh, in a <laughs> well, different timeline. So and I mean, in the comics, she was like Kang's true love. And yes. at the end of season one, Miss Min- it seemed like Miss Minutes was taking her to meet up with Kang is what it looked like. And so, yeah. you know, here you see her sort of with this gun in the far left image. And it looks like is she like is she like Kang's muscle here in the middle image right, where she's sort right. of dressed up in the old timey outfit? Is she helping Victor Timely this, back at the World's Fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. then uh, on the far right from the end of the trailer where she's in the uh, purple light, yeah. a lot of people are, is she in that uh, after you get purged, you get sent to that world between worlds where Loki met the oh, other right. Lokis yeah, with yeah. the uh, Alioth. Uh, right, that right. was that that Kang the that he who remains had used to sort of win the multiversal war and defeat all the other Kangs and right. is she facing that? So definitely, I think there's going to be a lot of callbacks. Uh, Loki season two seems like definitely a Loki season one rewatch. Yeah. Leading up to it is going to be the way to go because it definitely feels like there's going to be a lot of references and because we're dealing with oh well this is what this timeline was versus this timeline. Yeah. I think a good refresher on what exactly happened in loki season one because it looks like they're just picking up and running with it as soon as we hit which will if it's good be great yeah and you look at one last thing zaniac here as i was mentioning earlier this was uh there were pictures on set of the zaniac posters that were posted by a couple of people on the internet or on social media rather and now this is really happening there is a zaniac movie rafael cassell is is playing the actor who plays zaniac in the movie so will he get possessed by these creatures and become this uh, now, because in the comics he kills beautiful women. That's the only women people he kills. So I'm sure they're gonna adjust that for uh, the Marvel universe. So it'll be interesting to see what darkness Zaniac and, brings in this. Yeah. And I actually had to look up Zaniac because I'm a nerd, but it's a deep cut. <laughs> but so like Zaniac is an actor who plays this demonic character in a movie, but then yeah. actually gets possessed and becomes that yeah. demonic character. Right. Right. And yeah. and leads a bunch of other demonic characters because these are things that come from a dark dimension to possess people's bodies. So he, there may be a fleet of Zaniacs, Zaniacai, if you will, coming for Loki and Mobius. And I wonder if maybe there are reshoots, Shannon, with the Zaniacs maybe taking some of the stuff that Timely would have been doing. Maybe there's a way that they're kind of moving. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out. You, I'm telling you guys, you, this whole idea that they're going back and changing Loki, like you're like, Okay, look, Loki season two happened. Whatever happens with Jonathan Majors, this is what we're doing. Now, from everything moving forward, yeah, we'll make some choices. But them being like, <laughs> let's take, like, I'm, I, I do not think that is happening. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Shannon, any final words on this? Well, I mean, and this probably has nothing to do with the show, but when Sylvie was wearing that Ankh earring, I do yeah. think it's interesting that Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead are directing a few episodes this season and they cut their Marvel teeth on Moon Knight. Oh, is another character that you associate Ooh. that you associate with the young. I'm I, I'm guessing that's kind of a happy accident. Um, but I just thought that was interesting. 
I mean, Conchu or Moon Knight showing up in this would be really uh, interesting. I think best leave Moonlight. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's leave let's leave Moonlight Moon Knight in the museum until we fix the rest of the Marvel universe. Just like, uh, leave him over there. Let's let's not, leave uh... the stretching to Mister Fantastic. Why don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So clearly, there's a lot here to digest and uh, consume and process and think about. But uh, it's exciting. It's really exciting. It's nice to kind of be excited and have some confidence that we're going to get a good season and a good series out of this. And especially, yeah, especially coming out of <laughs> secret invasion. It's nice to feel a little bit of hope again. Shannon, when is it, when is this debuting? October 6th on Disney plus not coming out all at the same time. Right. Oh, all right. Probably won't see a screening until September or something. All right, well, there you go. That's our uh, episode here of uh, the Geek Buddies. Thank you all so much for joining us. We hope you got some knowledge, some information, and some fun out of it, for sure, as we're having these discussions about all these different topics. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel and send him all of your Saw gifts, it's at MKTune. <laughs> and if you would like to follow Jonas Roca, hey it is at the Roca Says. Only as Roca Jonas, then I'd have some money here. Uh, Michael, what do we have to tell him? Uh, if you like torture porn, old folks, aliens, and multiverses, we cover all of it here on the Geek Buddies. And for us to continue doing that, here's what you can do. Smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Leave your comments below. What did you think of everything this week? What did you think of the Loki trailer? What are you excited about? What are you worried about? What are you hopeful for? Let us know below. If you're listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so we go up in the rankings and more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is post this to your socials, send it to your friends, tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. Look for Michael and I reviewing uh, the most recent episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds in the next couple of days uh, there. But uh, uh, other than that, have yourselves a great weekend. Enjoy. Go see the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies! <gasps> hey! Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.